Normally, you'd have to be wearing a Steelers uniform to get a reception like this in Baltimore. The lead starts right now. For the first time since calling Baltimore rodent-infested and disgusting, President Trump is visiting Charm City to hang out with Republicans, as many in the majority black city are saying, send him back. Surrounded, round three for the Democrats is tonight, and for the first time, Joe Biden will be flanked by his two closest, much more progressive challengers. Does Elizabeth Warren have a plan to attack him? Plus, closer to the tipping point, more than 100 business leaders now saying doing nothing on guns is unacceptable. As a key Trump ally in the Senate says, the president might be ready to talk. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with the politics lead today. President Trump is this minute preparing to leave the White House to visit Baltimore, Maryland, an American city that two months ago he denigrated, mockingly calling it deadlier than Afghanistan. He said it was a place no human being would want to live. He called it a, quote, disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. It was all part of a weeks long attack on that city full of American citizens whom he represents as president. The attack came within days of those other gratuitous and nasty attacks, the racist ones, where he told four Democratic congresswomen of color to go back where they came from. This time, President Trump went after House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings, a Democrat who represents parts of Baltimore. Cummings subsequently invited the president to visit Baltimore after the attack. The president did not take him up on that offer. But tonight, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, President Trump will speak in Baltimore at the long-scheduled House Republican retreat. It's a corrupt city, there's no question about it. President Trump will soon head to a place he once said was like living in hell. Those people are living in hell in Baltimore. He claimed it was a rodent-infested mess, and he even compared the homicide rate to a war zone. I believe it's higher than Afghanistan. But President Trump won't be on an apology tour when he visits Baltimore, Maryland tonight. Instead, he's going to speak to his fellow Republicans during their congressional retreat. Trump's summer feud had less to do with Charm City and more to do with this lawmaker. The days of this committee protecting the president at all costs are over. Congressman Elijah Cummings is a Baltimore native who chairs the House Oversight Committee, which is investigating the president and his administration. I think that... Representative Cummings should take his oversight committee and start doing oversight on Baltimore. Trump's trip comes as he is still down a national security advisor after John Bolton was unceremoniously ousted earlier this week. I thought he was way out of line. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was barely on speaking terms with Bolton, was practically gleeful. There were many times Ambassador Bolton and I disagree, that's to be sure. And now sources say he could replace him. And they're all on board. Administration officials are considering making Pompeo the new national security advisor while keeping him as secretary of state. That would not be an unprecedented move, of course. If so, Pompeo would become only the second person to hold both titles. Mr. Secretary of State. The first was Henry Kissinger, who was the national security advisor when President Richard Nixon made him secretary of state in 1973. Trump hasn't made a final decision yet and is still considering several names. There are five people that I consider very highly qualified. 
Now, Jake, that suggestion about Pompeo may seem unusual, and some people back here at the White House say it's only being pushed by his allies, but the idea that it is being floated at all and not outright dismissed by White House officials is a sign of the power that Pompeo holds, power that is only likely to increase with Bolton's departure. But of course, you've seen what's happened to people in President Trump's eyes before when they've grown too powerful. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this with my experts, Van Jones. Let me start with you. President Trump, of course, uh, heading to a city that he called a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. I guess the big question, will he address that at all when he's there? You know, he probably won't. And if he does, he'll probably make it worse. Unfortunately, uh, doing apology tours is not something that he's really, really good at doing. You know, it's interesting because there's just this kind of d- divide in uh, the Trump strategy. Uh, kind of on the one hand, this week they were talking to black colleges, talking about ending poverty with business. None of that breaks through because you still have the, the S-hole countries comment just weighing them down. The rat-infested city weighing them down. So it's, it's interesting to watch them uh, just at odds with themselves, trying to figure out some way to, to reach this constituency, uh, but yeah, still struggling, it looks like. As we saw with uh, his feud with science uh, in the last week or so, right. the president's not particularly good at letting things go. I think I think he's definitely going to mention it because I think he considers that feud a hit of his. I think he thought that that was successful and when you're going to a friendly audience you play the hits. And when you <laughs> when you go to when you go to a concert, of course you're going to play the new album, but you really expect all the old all, the old all, classics. All the goodies. Yeah, and no, so I think cool. he's he's in that city, he's not going to be able to resist the obvious low-hanging fruit that's in front of him, in front of a Republican retreat, I think, of course, he's going to do it. And the question is, will, will anyone in that room care? So kind of like a racially insensitive version of Stairway to Heaven, I guess is what you <laughs> yeah. said. No, Freebird. Freebird, sweet home Alabama, perhaps more to the point. Uh, yeah, but the, the president has an arena rock approach to his politics, but he is fundamentally an insult comic. And if there are folks in the White House wringing their hands about how come their messages is getting out on the heroic work, you know, Van and other folks did on criminal justice reform for which they deserve concern, it's because the messenger keeps saying really racist things. And yeah, no kidding. It, I, 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 just, I mean, the part that... The, <laughs> The part Republicans really need to think about if they're going to be in that room and he plays his greatest hits are the continued optics of what happens when a Republican Party and a conference of Republican electeds laughs at the president Mm -hmm. continuing to play that terrible hit. Yep. And that does further damage to all of them in their seats and to the sustainability of this project that was the Republican Party that, by the way, was yeah. oh, the that, Progressive Party of the 1860s. But that, I'm like not writing old. that off-head today. Talk about the greatest spinning in his grave somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Let's turn to the Pompeo story. Uh, Margaret, a recent New Yorker profile called Pompeo the, quote, Secretary of Trump, the president's most loyal soldier. A former senior White House official quoted in the story saying that Pompeo is, quote, among the most sycophantic and obsequious people around Trump. Well, he's going to need to ratchet up that obsequiousness right now because these storylines are going to be very bad for him if, as Trump reads them. And literally all of this speculation about how important Pompeo is is the, exactly the kind of thing that will undermine Pompeo in the context of the president because the president makes the decisions and he's the guy who's making the policy. He doesn't want anybody to be bigger than him. So, so that, while all that uh, probably hurts Pompeo, I think that's an accurate characterization. Looks like he's, he's lasted in two positions yeah. so far in this administration. People get fired, not promoted, with President Trump. But right. now, and now he may get yet another job. But, but he's really good at managing up. I mean, I think mm-hmm. of whatever you think it's a of very delicate. Whatever you think term. of Mike Pompeo, yeah. Uh, yeah. he's really good at managing up. And yeah. tr- and the truth is, ideologically, Pompeo and Bolton. If you go back to 2016, mm-hmm. 
Really not that different. No. Really but, very but, similar. But no. one is a deeply uh, principled or ideological person, and the other is an operator who's managing Washington and managing the president in a more well, effective way. Quite, quite effectively. And to Margaret's point, he has risen up the ranks, and he's done it by making sure there's no daylight in public between him and the president. Um, and you can say that's an abandonment of principles or the absence of principles. The thing, the reason that I think the Kissinger parallels are dangerous is that, um, A, it would rise his profile to a place that will be unsustainable. And two, when Henry Kissinger did it uh, in the Ford administration, it didn't ultimately he was replaced by Brent Scrocroft in the national security position. So that even that was untenable for someone as talented at both policy and Washington politics as Henry Kissinger. Mike Pompeo is not going to play it. Off. I think the danger, too, sorry, is that is that it seems as if Trump thinks these two positions are like smushable. They're, they're somewhat <laughs> related. They're kind of similar fields. We'll smush them together. And, you know, I'm, I'm a small government conservative. I like consolidating government. But these are two very important and, by the way, discreet Mm-hmm. positions, sometime in, sometimes in conflict with one another, mm-hmm. and you like to have those checks and balances, to have mm-hmm. it be the same person could actually be somewhat dangerous. You know, the, the, in a White House, the, the process is so important, and you do want those functions separate, and you want to be able to, the thing is, every White House has factions and faction fights. Mm-hmm. They, they're usually well managed by a, a strong uh, chief of staff and everybody doing their actual job. I want to say this, though. I'm glad Bolton's gone. Mm-hmm. I just want to be very clear that uh, Bolton leaving, people were like, oh, okay. I, I, hallelujah. I'm glad he's gone. I thought he was a dangerous and a reckless presence in American life. And I'm glad he's not in the White House. All right, stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. One Republican saying that Democrats are just talking about impeachment for the Graham. What's happened today is great. The Judiciary Committee has become a giant Instagram filter. Is anyone else the moves on the Hill that sparked that outburst coming up next. Then devices planted near the White House to reportedly spy on President Trump and allegedly done by one of America's closest allies. Stay with us. Our politics lead now a big moment today for the 135 House Democrats who want impeachment proceedings against President Trump to begin. In a party line vote today, the House Judiciary Committee adopted the rules for their investigation, but... As one Republican noted, Democrats can't agree on what's next or even what to call this. You want to give the illusion of impeachment without the reality of it. Some Democrats can tell their constituencies they're conducting an impeachment inquiry, while others can tell their constituencies that they aren't. You can have your impeachment and deny it, too. Let's go to CNN's Manu Raju on Capitol Hill now. And Manu, Democrats on this committee want this, but they don't want the full caucus. Yeah, that's right. And a sizable number in the full House Democratic Caucus still are not there yet in terms of getting behind formal impeachment proceedings. Even though there is a majority of House Democrats that do want to move forward, particularly in the House Judiciary Committee, there are some, including some freshmen who are in districts that will be at risk of flipping in 2020, who are pushing back and telling me today it is not time to move forward. I think the American people aren't there on the issue of impeachment. I don't think we've made the case to the American people that we need to yet. Now, the, now the move by the House Judiciary Committee to essentially say what they're doing is the same as an impeachment inquiry means that, that they will, the full House will not have to vote to formally open this investigation. That will spare them from a vote. But, Jake, if the, the committee does make a decision to actually recommend articles of impeachment, which Jerry Nadler wants to do before the end of the year, those members will have to cast a vote by then, Jake. Monitor this debate among House Democrats to call what comes next an impeachment inquiry or an investigation. 
And even Speaker Pelosi won't say what it is? Yeah, I've tried multiple times this week to try to get her on the record to say whether or not she gets, she supports or this is an impeachment inquiry. She has not said that. Simply a continuation, she says, of the existing investigations. And today at a press conference, she was asked directly about this issue and she pushed back. Are you uncomfortable with the term impeachment inquiry? Is there another term we should be using? I'm not... Why don't we spend some time going over to see Mitch McConnell and asking him why he doesn't want to save lives? Why is it that you're hung up on a word over here when lives are at stake over there? She's referring to there, of course, Mitch McConnell not moving forward on the universal background checks legislation, referring to gun sales. But nevertheless, her tone about impeachment much different than what the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler said after today's vote. He came out and said they're going to move forward with an aggressive set of hearings this fall and calling the one impeachment hearing next week with former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski is set to testify about allegations of obstruction of justice that were laid out in the Mueller report. Jake. All right, Manu Raju on Capitol Hill for us. Thanks so much. A huge milestone for the Trump administration that he may not want to tweet. Today, the Treasury Department announced that the U.S. budget deficit topped a trillion dollars. It is the first time in seven years. President Trump's 2017 tax cuts drove the increase, along with a massive spending package passed by Congress. Coming up, it may be the third Democratic debate, but tonight is a first for the presidential hopefuls. We will explain and discuss what each candidate needs to do to keep their hopes alive. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead today, for the very first time, former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders will all stand on the same debate stage in Houston in the third Democratic debate this evening. The expectation is that both progressive firebrands, Warren and Sanders, will take it to the more moderate frontrunner and former VP, as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports from Houston. A Texas showdown tonight between the top three Democratic presidential candidates, marking a first in the 2020 campaign as they all stand side by side sharing a debate stage in Houston. While Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders have faced off once already, all eyes are on Biden and Elizabeth Warren, whose competing visions represent the starkest choice for voters. Biden's advisors tell CNN the former vice president plans to question whether Warren will be able to deliver on her proposals. Plans are great, but executing on those plans is a very different thing. But Warren has been imploring Democrats to dream big, arguing now is not the time to play it safe. We can't choose a candidate we don't believe in because we're scared. And we can't ask other people to vote for someone we don't believe in. The Massachusetts senator releasing another new plan today, calling for a major expansion of Social Security to immediately increase benefits by $200 a month per person and expand benefits for the poor. To pay for it, she would require the wealthiest Americans to contribute more to the program. Warren, along with Bernie Sanders, is calling for sweeping changes to health care and other government programs. It's a revolution that Biden and several other rivals fear is pushing the party too far to the left. Only 10 candidates out of the crowded Democratic field qualified for the debate to be held on the campus of Texas Southern University, one of the nation's historically black colleges and universities. Biden announcing the endorsements today of 59 black state legislators from 15 states, underscoring how support from African-Americans has solidified his lead. A new CNN poll shows the former vice president holds an overwhelming advantage among black voters, with 42 percent supporting him, about four times as much as Sanders, Warren and Kamala Harris. And just hours before the debate, Biden reminding voters once again of his loyalty to his partner in the White House, 
former President Barack Obama. Barack Obama is an extraordinary man. Now, it's no surprise that Biden is still clinging tight to President Obama. Of course, he is the most popular Democrat in the party. And, Jake, you'll remember at the last debate in Detroit, it was the Obama legacy that, in fact, was being debated. Advisors to all the campaigns uh, are telling us they do not expect that to be quite as sharp. There was a lot of backlash, of course, on the debate of the Obama legacy. But, Jake, one thing is clear. Joe Biden is bringing in his argument for stronger electability. Elizabeth Warren is bringing her plans in. Both of those are likely to get picked apart tonight. Jake. All right, Jeff Zeleny in Houston right before the debate. Let's talk about this. Essie, tell me what you think Vice President Joe Biden should do tonight. Well, I hate to say this. I'm not picking on him, but it seems like every Joe Biden performance is his worst uh, of this campaign season. He he hasn't found a way to redeem from the last one before he goes on to the next. And so I, I hope he just has sort of a clean sharp performance. I think the thing he should do is drag out that recent Pew poll that found that Democrats have really lost that advantage over voters that they had over Republicans. It's it's vanished uh, over the past couple of years. I think he should raise that as a reason for his electability, as a reason why some of these pie in the sky policy ideas are maybe well-intentioned, but unrealistic. He's the pragmatist. He can get stuff done. And Van, if you were advising Sanders or or Warren, what would you tell them? Well, listen, I mean, uh, we often overlook Sanders' strength. You know, know, people love this kind of comeback story of Elizabeth Warren. But Sanders is very, very strong, very, very stable. I think he can still humanize himself a little bit more. He's somebody we don't want to hear the greatest hits from over and over again. Like, we've heard all that stuff before. And he's got to prove himself on the plan side. I think Elizabeth Warren... Uh, look, she is so far the best athlete on the field. Uh, I think she needs to uh, resist the temptation to go after Biden. I think mm-hmm. Biden has a lot of love in this party. Uh, I think people fe- feel that he's a little unsteady on his feet. Uh, she could take him out at any point. I don't think she has to do it tonight. And what do you, what do you think, Margaret? What would you say? I, I, Biden not only does, has to avoid a gaffe, he has to defend the legacy that is, he's associated with in a way that gives mainstream Democrats something to hang their hat on. Mm. Because right now, they're, trying, they're coming up with excuses, saying, mm-hmm. well, the senile guy is going to be better than the crazy guy, <laughs> if it were. But, you know, and that's just not enough, right? No, it's just not, And by the way, it's going to be one of these top three candidates, right? Between Warren and Biden and Sanders, you've got two-thirds of the Democratic preference locked up. And all the other 17 candidates are fighting over that one-third. So the likelihood that one of the other candidates is going to emerge as the leader in this front run is, is very unlikely. But don't, to your point, Margaret, yeah. don't you think that instead of Elizabeth Warren focusing on, on Biden, she has got to focus on Sanders? They are too alike to too many I voters. Agree. There is no And they are eventually going to have to take each other out. Eventually, eventually she's going to make a case she's a more electable Bernie Sanders, and that's going to blur. I, I do think if you look at the top three folks, what's, what I think is troubling objectively for the Democratic field's perspective is that it's not a strong field, that not only are they all septuagenarians, but also that, you know, they represent Biden represents something like the center. But historically, he's been a very mainstream liberal senator. Warren and Sanders are in their own zip code as it Mm -hmm. comes to the Democratic Party, let alone the national electorate. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of Democratic voters who are not being represented. And that's where there's an opportunity for, say, a Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, somebody who really rose in the first debate, but then got hit by the Biden boomerang. That attack boomerang back on mm. her. She's got to make a clear, positive, differentiated <clears throat> case for her campaign tonight. Mm-hmm. This debate matters the most for her. What did you make, uh, Van, of the, this video uh, that Biden put out, the Biden campaign, this homage to Barack Obama, mm-hmm. uh, re- reminding people 
uh, I, that he was the vice president, that he was there. Look, as much as people might roll their eyes and stuff like that, that brings tears to the eyes of a lot of people. Uh, I think it's hard for people to... Un, you cannot underestimate how much Barack Obama means to a big part of this party. Uh, this part, the African-American uh, uh, voters who are the most reliable love Barack Obama, love Michelle Obama, love the dog, love the girls, love the whole deal. So that's very smart. There for were two dogs, by the way. Two dogs. Bo and Sonny. <laughs> Bo and Sonny. Oh, he knows everything. <laughs> um, but you know, he's got to hold on to that, to that base. You mentioned Kamala Harris. You know, she uh, hurt herself in that second debate. That first debate... Um, she was she was strong, but there was a warmth there. You know, that little girl was me. It was a little tough, but at least it was a little bit human. Strong and warm tends to work. The second debate, uh, she was a little bit weaker when she tried to punch Biden. Biden punched back. She knows what to do. Tulsi Gabbard beat her up. And then there was no human moment. So she goes from strong and warm to a little bit weak and a little bit cold. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So she's got to come back somehow, avoid that boomerang, but show that strength and that warmth again. If she does that, she at least stays viable. You talked about pie-in-the-sky uh, proposals, yeah. um, your characterization, not mine. Yeah. Warren unveiled a proposal today to overhaul Social Security, giving recipients an extra $200 a month by raising taxes on the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could very well poll well with the American people, yeah. most of whom will not be hit uh, by those tax increases, but also be used against her. Yeah, I, I think incrementalism is a very good place to be. It's when we talk about decriminalizing the border. It's when we talk about um, abolishing private health insurance. Those are the things that I think make people say, "Who? what planet are you living on? A, those are crazy ideas. I'm not in favor of them. B, they can't get done. You'll still have to work right. with a divided government. Or can we deal and, in reality? And, and that's actually, it's, it's, it, I think you're exactly right. And the question is, when will Warren have to make something resembling an electability case? And it's mm. not enough to say, look, I've got all these play to the base proposals, but they're never going to happen anyway because they're never going to get through the Senate. If you're talking about abolishing private insurance, never building another nuclear power plant, um, a 15 percent payroll tax hike, albeit on, on the wealthiest Americans, um, that's an agenda that's designed to play to the base. But at what point is going to she make the case that she can actually win an election, win over some of those pivot yeah. counties? Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about spy games in the nation's capital. Reports that one of America's closest allies planted surveillance devices to possibly try to listen into President Trump's phone calls. Stay with us. Our world lead now, a key U.S. ally who President Trump publicly praises quite often, is now accused of spying on him. Politico reports that Israeli intelligence agencies are suspected by U.S. intelligence of having planted cell phone surveillance devices in and around the Washington, D.C. area to gather information on the White House. As CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports, the Israeli government is denying the story in the strongest possible way. An adamant denial today from Israel following a report claiming that its intelligence services planted cell phone surveillance devices near the White House and other sensitive locations in Washington, D.C. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Russia today meeting with Vladimir Putin claiming Israel doesn't spy on the United States. Absolutely not. We have a directive. I have a directive. No intelligence collection in the United States. No spying. And it's rigorously enforced, without any exceptions. It's complete, it's complete fabrication. Politico reports that according to former senior U.S. officials, Israel was most likely behind a series of electronic spying devices known as stingrays. The goal, the former officials tell Politico, was to spy on top White House staff and the president, who is known to often use a cell phone, whose security has been repeatedly questioned. If I were a foreign intelligence officer in Washington, 
I would want to listen into his calls and his closest aides. In April 2018, the Department of Homeland Security confirmed to Oregon Democratic Senator Ron Wyden that they found stingray-like activity in Washington, but did not say who was behind it. That can really be an entry point, a glide path for people who represent an extraordinary danger to our country. A stingray is technically known as an IMSI catcher. It simulates a cell tower, tricking cell phones into connecting to them. The stingray can then capture location, calls, texts, and other data streams. Extremely valuable information on potentially very serious subjects. U.S. security officials say it's possible that Israel could buy these devices anonymously and use them as part of their U.S. intelligence gathering. The Israelis have never stopped spying on us one way or another. You know, when they get caught, there's a slap on the wrist. If there has indeed been a slap on the wrist for Israel, we haven't seen it yet. The Trump administration, of course, is extremely close to the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. And Jake, it's important to note the U.S. gathers intelligence on them, too. We asked the FBI, the CIA, the NSC, and others for comment, but they all declined. Jake. Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. As Putin met with Netanyahu today, Russian security was rounding up activists in more than 40 cities across that country. Yet another example of what Amnesty International has called a full-scale crackdown on Putin's political opponents in the midst of this month's elections. CNN's Matthew Chance is in Moscow for us. Matthew, what's the stated reason behind today's raids, and what do you suspect was the actual reason? Uh, Hey, Jake. Well, first of all, an absolutely massive crackdown across this vast country. More than 200 addresses were raided by mass police. They they broke up offices. They seized computers. All the offices and apartments of associates of Alexei Navalny, who's one of the main opposition leaders in this country, is a prominent anti-corruption campaigner. Now, what the authorities say is that they are investigating widespread corruption in his organization. They're accusing him of uh, money laundering as passing off millions of dollars worth of donations uh, or of criminal uh, monies as donations from the public. Uh, he, of course, categorically denies that, says that's nonsense. This is all about revenge because he staged such an, an effective campaign in the recent local elections, uh, a tactical voting campaign to encourage people not to vote for the ruling party. It led to a severe denting of the majority of the ruling party in the in the Russian capital that Putin, he says, is absolutely furious and is stamping his feet. Those are his words uh, over there in the Kremlin uh, because the, his ruling party uh, sort of lost with, you know, had such a, a massive dent in it. And it's only Vladimir Putin, he said, who could have organized and ordered such a massive widespread crackdown. Matthew Jansen, Moscow for us. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. President Trump soon expected to make a decision on new gun legislation that he would be willing to sign into law. But can Congress take him at his word? The national lead now a key ally of President Trump's today, signaling that he is open to strengthening background checks before gun purchases. This is exhibit A of what's wrong with the current system. You fail a background check when you go to a licensed gun dealer. You buy it on the street from somebody who's selling guns, uh, you know, not as a family or friend, but just making money off selling guns. We need to capture that. The signal from the president's ally, Senator Lindsey Graham, a conservative from gun country, leading to speculation as to what President Trump will ultimately say on the record about what he's willing to support to attempt to curb the disturbing trend 
of mass shootings and gun violence in the U.S. After the Parkland school shooting in 2018, President Trump said he was open to a long list of gun control measures only to back off within a day after meeting with the NRA. Senator Majority, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he will not bring anything up for a vote in the Senate unless the president has said out loud in public that he will sign it. Let's chew over this. What do you think Lindsey Graham's trying to do here? I mean, we're speculating, but is he trying to send a message to him? Is he is he trying to provide cover for him? I think probably more cover than message in that there is a group inside the Trump White House that is very serious about coming up with something. Uh, it's relatively modest in terms of what they're open to. It's, it, it is a red flag stuff, background checks. They want to see something thrown in around culture, video games. You know, they want to kind of broaden that piece out, mental health. But there's, a, there's, there's four corners of a potential deal, and I think this is an attempt to try to build some public support for that uh, in case Trump does decide to walk that, that uh, road. And, and one of the issues here you heard Lindsey Graham talking about is the idea that private sales, you do not have to do a background right. check, and maybe a background check should be expanded to all sales. There's this inconsistency in our policies to formalize it. Look, this is one of those issues where, you know, you, we often reference Nixon and China, right? This is not something that normally a Republican president is going to lead on gun control. And it's one where if the president could pick a position and stick with it, he could lead on a legislative win. I mean, he gets the win of the step act, first step act, <clears throat> but it was put together by many, many people, one of them here at this table, over many, many years. And while he signed it, he didn't lead on it from the beginning. He could lead on this. And, get, from and, the and, beginning. and, and, and it would help him but, with suburban moms, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and it would. And what's worse is that he's a guy who prides himself on being a tough guy who follows his own impulses. Mm-hmm. And his impulse is clearly to support background checks. Mm-hmm. And every time he's instinctively floated it, he's backed off once he gets a call from the NRA. So this really, and by the way, this is not a tough call, folks. This is a 90% issue. Let me just the question is whether 10% is going to continue driving our national policy. I, I, I know SEC sees it somewhat differently. Let me just say, though, uh, Trump really did expend real political capital to get the First Step Act yeah. passed. I mean, he he shocked a lot of people. He was willing to publicly challenge Mitch McConnell. He really did. And look what get, happened. He and, got what he wanted. And, and he got what he wanted. So I'm just I'm saying there is a pathway here. I think Trump has gotten too little credit for what he did on criminal justice uh, reform. If he does do this, it might uh, uh, make uh, S.E. Cup unhappy, but I think it make a lot of people. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, what the, you, the red what, flags. The red flags. Uh, let's, oh, let's talk oh. about the red flags. Because uh, I don't have any. any you, you support with expanding that. background checks, but you have an issue with I red do. flags. I want to uh, let's talk about red flag laws for one second, uh, because the president could push for that. This would uh, help uh, uh, states uh, expand their laws so that. A parent or a judge could take away somebody's guns uh, if adjudicated. Uh, In an op-ed today in The New York Times, Republican Senator Marco Rubio wrote, quote, red flag laws empower law enforcement or family members to use the judicial system to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous individuals. But there are other Republicans who are concerned about it, such as Republican Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, who says red flag cases could flood the U.S. courts. Take a listen. Let me me make a prediction. If we pass a red flag law, uh, every member of the Senate within the first six months is going to have a number of people go file a claim and say, this person's unstable and he shouldn't own a firearm. We've got to think this stuff through. Not on the same page. What do you think? A couple things. The version of the red flags law that they're currently discussing would just incentivize states to do it. So it's almost a little toothless if you like red flag laws. On the other side of of the issue, I think there is a fear about due process and how recklessly this could be used. And that's why I think um, 
temporary gun violence restraining orders are a much better, narrower, more discreet, what's targeted. The, what's the difference? Well, the, the way that they're adjudicated are a little different and a little bit more narrow. You need a little more um, evidence tooth to enact it. It's super temporary. I just think the devil's going to be in the details of the red flag laws. And when we have something as popular as background checks, mm. expanding them, um, why not take the easier win and then maybe we can discuss the next steps Later, I think cluttering it up and putting more ornaments on the Christmas tree is just going to make nothing get through. But you're saying that the, you think that that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a piece that has to do with video games, I, a piece I that think, has to I do think, with the culture. I think, I think it's, it's, it's mental health, it's video games and culture, <laughs> it's red flags and background checks. That's, that's where I think that the, the, the faction inside the White House is trying to get this done. That's where they are. But what do you think about red flag laws? Because obviously there are these shooters that, that there, people have known for a long time something's wrong with this person. I think that the localities, the municipalities, states need to be able to decide how they're going to adjudicate it in their state. I think mm-hmm. you can't pass a red flag law that's a national red flag law. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah. that's not the model here. The model is to encourage states to pass their own. And, and I do like the idea that communities get to decide how they're going to adjudicate it because mm-hmm. you have had very clear cases where many people in, in, in a community, in a family, have known that somebody is a yeah. danger to themselves in their community and they're not able to do anything yeah. because there are so many regulations preventing them to. Look, 10% of the country or less should not be able to hold the rest of the country hostage when it comes to these gun laws. There are so many absurd laws in the books. We know what has worked in the past. The assault weapons ban should be reexamined. The Dickey Amendment, which has cut off research into gun violence, needs to be removed. Take a first step. president can lead on this initiative. All right, everyone, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Chinese technology, money, even Chinese police pouring into a key U.S. ally as President Trump's trade war appears to hit another hiccup. Stay with us. The world lead now, President Trump announcing a two-week delay on new tariffs he wants to impose against China, scheduled to take effect on October 1st. Some of the tensions in the showdown between the U.S. and China is due to China increasing its influence in new parts of Europe at the expense of the U.S., as CNN's Oren Lieberman now explains. Follow the tracks on the outskirts of Belgrade, and you get to Central Europe. Follow the money, and you end up somewhere very different. The new tracks bear the markings of China Railways, one of the major Chinese projects in Serbia, moving the Balkan country from its traditional allies in the west to the Red Dragon in the Far East. This steel mill was once owned by U.S. Steel. When it couldn't make money, the Americans sold it to the Serbian government for $1 until the Chinese stepped in. Retired construction worker Volislav Milenkovic says the move saved his hometown. People do see the Chinese here as rescuers. We would like them to stay here. If they leave, this would mean disaster for many of us. China bought the plant for a premium of $51 million, then poured more money into it. In villages here that rely on the steel mill for employment, it is China that looks like the savior. It builds this perception that it's Beijing to the rescue, and it grows Serbia's reliance on a different superpower. It's not just infrastructure. Chinese police will soon start patrolling in Serbia, given a rise in Chinese tourism. Telecom firm Huawei is installing surveillance cameras in the capital of Belgrade, and there are plans for Huawei to build a 5G network here, despite U.S. security concerns about the Chinese tech giant. All of it is a red flag to America. We're trying to support them to move in one direction. They should be careful about uh, where they're going. Kyle Scott is the U.S. ambassador to Serbia, part of an effort to bring the two countries closer. Last month, the White House hosted the Serbian foreign minister in Washington, 
who then urged Serbs in America to support President Donald Trump. The door of friendship is open, but China is coming in, bringing money and loans. For Serbia, which didn't respond to our request for comment, the new attention means a boost to the economy, much-needed infrastructure projects, and a powerful friend coming into the region. Serbia is, for right now, the anchor for the, uh, for the Chinese effort, but the chains from that anchor also go into other countries. There is a shared feeling of victimization here. Serbians have never forgiven the U.S. or Europe for NATO's Kosovo bombing campaign 20 years ago to halt ethnic cleansing. One of the targets was the Chinese embassy. The U.S. claimed it was a mistake, an explanation neither Serbia nor China quite believed. If I were to go out in the street and ask the average Serb who's a better friend to Serbia, China or the U.S., what do you think they would say? Absolutely, they would say China. Um, and it doesn't surprise me, you can see it in the polls. Um, it's, it's, it's also part of the media environment here in Serbia. You will see that they get about 50 positive articles for any neutral article whereas the West gets about 25 negative articles for any neutral article. On the side of the embassy, the Chinese are building their biggest cultural center in Europe. Outside stands a statue of Confucius. You don't need to understand proverbs to read the signs on Confucius Street near China-Serbia Friendship Square. Orrin Lieberman, CNN, Belgrade. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.